You're listening to episode 126 of the Pastor Writer Podcast, conversations on reading, writing, and the Christian life. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time now. It's a privilege and honor to have Mark Batterson on the podcast. His name will be familiar to most, and his books have sold in the millions of copies. A New York Times bestselling author. We had a chance to talk about the sense of calling that brings a writer to the work, how it fits together with pastoral ministry, and how you go about improving the craft, particularly as Mark points out when he didn't feel like he was a great writer to begin with. I think Mark gives some really practical advice for anyone who's considering or thinking about writing. Uh, Personally, I got a lot out of this conversation. I think you will, too. As always, thanks for listening. Well, I'm really excited and honored to have on the podcast today a name that'll be familiar to most of you, Mark Batterson. He serves as the lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. The church also operates Ebenezer Coffee House, the Miracle Theater, as well as the D.C. Dream Center. Mark holds a Doctorate of Ministry degree from Regent University and is the New York Times bestselling author of 18 books, including The Circle Maker, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, the very first of his books that I picked up way back in college, Wild Goose Chase, and he's recently released such books as Double Blessing, Whisper, and Play the Man. Well, Mark, uh, I've really been looking forward to this conversation. It's a privilege and honor to be able to talk to you about writing and about pastoring today. Hey, me, me too, Chase. Uh, excited and uh, knowing that we have a little bit of uh, DNA in common from our CBC days uh, makes it extra fun. That's right. Mark and I are both graduates of the same Bible college, and so we uh, share some Springfield roots. You left. I just stayed here, though. That's one big difference. <laughs> and let's be honest, Chase. We are, we are without an alma mater. Although there has been a merger did happen with Evangel, so let's let's make sure we give some credit there too. But uh, yeah, fun fun to be with you today. Yeah, well, thanks. Like I said, it's an honor. I uh, as I mentioned before, I uh, I remember when In a Pit first came out. Uh, I remember you actually came and spoke at a chapel uh, right when that book was coming out, and so I paid attention to what well, you're writing from the very beginning, and and had a couple opportunities to hear you speak about writing as well. And so uh, I thought maybe we could spend a little time doing that. But one thing I'd love to hear for, for some context is. When you think vocationally about these two roles you have, a pastor, you're pastoring a a really influential church, does some pretty innovative stuff. You're also writing and doing that at at a pretty high level. Uh, Do you think of yourself as a pastor who writes, a writer who pastors? Do you make any distinction like that? Vocationally, how do those two things fit together for you and your identity? Yeah, I love that question. And I'll share a little bit of my journey. And obviously, you know, everybody is a little bit different in terms of their calling and even prioritizing if you feel called to both pastor and write. Um, well, let me say this up front. You are signing up for two jobs. <laughs> um, there's nothing easy about uh, either one of those. I think either one can be a, a full-time calling. But here's my history. I felt called to ministry when I was 19 and and then I felt called to write when I was 22. The interesting thing is, you know, I didn't write a book until 35. So I, I had quite a few years there um, where I was I was pretty frustrated. But two things of significance were happening. One, 
I was manuscripting every sermon I preached. And so I was cultivating this writing gift without even really knowing it. And, uh, and then I was reading voraciously. Uh, so, you know, I read 3000 books before I wrote one and I, I don't think that's a requirement for anybody, but I really reverse engineered those books and tried to figure out what, what is it about other people's writing that I love? And, uh, and then in, in the process, tried to find my own voice and, uh, use my 35th birthday. Here's kind of a, a little tip. Uh, I leveraged my 35th birthday as a deadline and said, I'm not going to turn 35 without a book to show for it. And so I ended up, uh, this predates in a pit. So this might be a little known fact, uh, but I actually self-published through Zulon, a book uh, called ID, The True You. And uh, so that was actually my first writing project, wanted to prove to myself I could do it. And uh, and then, of course, wrote in a pit uh, after that. And so, uh, wow, to circle all the way back and answer the question you actually asked, uh, <laughs> it was probably right around the circle maker that I realized that I was no longer a pastor author. I was an author pastor. And I don't say that in terms of passion or even gifting. I simply say it in terms of, you know, I realized that I was uh, influencing a lot more people uh, via uh, via writing than pastoring. And so, in other words, I was pastoring maybe a couple thousand people at that point, but through writing was able to influence uh, eventually millions of people. And so that that was kind of my my journey, Chase. Well, was there a moment along the way where you recognized, because as you said, you know, the, the public side of your writing didn't really find that expression until, you know, you're in your 30s. But was there a moment earlier where you said, okay, I've sensed this call to pastoral ministry. I'm doing that, right? I'm going to Bible college. I'm studying. But when you said, ah, a piece of that puzzle is also trying to work on the craft of writing, becoming a better writer, somehow that's going to play out. Was there, what was that moment like recognizing that? Well, it, it was a distinct moment. I was 22, I was in our chapel at the seminary I attended, and I was praying, and I felt like I had this moment where the Lord said, I've called you to be a voice to your generation. I perceived that to be writing. And the, the funny thing is, it was right around this that time, and I hope this is encouraging to someone who's listening, it was right around that time I actually took a graduate assessment that showed a low aptitude for writing. In other words, uh, whatever you do, don't write books. Uh, you know, it's not a natural gifting for me. Uh, it's something that I really had to work hard on and uh, and, and kind of went the route of reading and then reverse engineering it and then kind of finding my own style or my own voice. But uh, yeah, I think 22 was when I had that idea. And then I, I don't want it to sound accidental either because I did start blogging uh, and I started uh, turning every message back in the day when when email was a little bit newer, uh, I would send out an evotional. So devotional minus the D. And, uh, and I forced myself every week to kind of take that manuscript and rewrite it for a written form. 
Um, so that's kind of the things I did to sort of prepare myself to eventually be able to write that first book. Are you, uh, out of curiosity, are you still manuscripting sermons today? I am er- every single word. And Chase, it's because I'm, I'm not good enough <laughs> to get up and do it extemporaneously. Um, so what I thought was a weakness, uh, really kind of cultivated a strength. And so in hindsight, I'm, I'm glad I'm not as good at the extemporaneous speaking, or I probably would not have worked as hard on uh, creating a manuscript every week. Yeah, that's, you know, for me, that was similar through seminary. So much of the emphasis was on less notes, less notes, you know, how, how, how few of notes can you preach with? And early on in pastoring, I just realized I felt like I was spinning my wheels in the pulpit sometimes, you know, or feeling insecure, like, did they get it or didn't they get it? And recognizing I cared enough about the words themselves. I wanted to figure them out before I was just in the pulpit. You know, I, I enjoyed that process of figuring out how to say it. Um, and you know, it's interesting. This is, I think, the 125th of these author conversations I've had. And I've been surprised by the number of authors who've said early in life, they didn't identify as being a writer. I mean, there's been some who said, you know, I grew up wanting to write books and loving books, but uh, just as many, maybe more have said, this is something that's uh, evolved through my sense of calling through God's leading. And it seems like a big piece of that is the, the, the impact of books of reading within a pastor's life. That sounds like that's really been true for you too. It really has. Um, <clears throat> I think the the key point for me was, you know, I started pastoring at 25, and so I had very little life experience, so I needed to borrow it. And right around that time, I heard that the average author puts about two years of life experience into a book. And, you know, you and I both know that that varies. There are some books that are worth a lot more than two years of life experience and some that are worth less. But I remember doing the math chase. And I thought to myself, hey, if I read 200 books this year, I'll gain 400 years of life experience and only be one year older. And so I kind of that was my mindset. And I actually read 200, 250 books a year. And, And part of it was I was pastoring 19 people. So I had a little bit of time on my hands back in the day. And, uh, and so, Chase, when people ask me how old I am, sometimes I'll have a little bit of fun and answer in book years. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm about 7,000 years old. You still keep up a, uh, a pretty aggressive reading schedule? I, I do, but it, it's in it, it's in fits and starts. Like I, uh, my wife and I and, and I want to I really want to make this practical. Um, and so he, here's one one thing that has helped me. Um, We've added a reading vacation uh, to our annual rhythm, my wife and I. And, um, you know, I, 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 uh, I got the idea from Bill Gates. Um, and I'm reading throughout the year, prepping for sermons and for series and researching for books. But that reading vacation has been so intellectually refreshing and spiritually refreshing for us. So w- one week uh, every summer, I do a reading vacation. Uh, when I'm in my writing season, which for me is uh, my birthday, which is November 5th until Super Bowl Sunday, which is uh, usually the first weekend in February. So my writing season is three months. That's how long I give myself to write a book. Um and I don't read much during that season other than the research that I'm tapping for the book itself. 
Um, but then the rest of the year, you know, I try to read on a regular diet, regular rhythm. Um, but I'm, I'm nowhere near 200 books a year anymore. Well, some people hear those numbers and they think, oh man, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the fastest reader out in the world. Would I get through that? I'm curious, um, when it comes to reading books and this is my hunch here, because I know for me, there's kind of different kinds of reading, right? Which I don't think people always differentiate. I mean, there's books you pick up that you realize pretty quick, man, I can, I can get through this pretty quickly. You know what I mean? I can get the gist of this book and figure it out. There are other books I pick up and I call them nightstand books. It's like, okay, that's one I've got to take my time with, right? I'm, I'm going to be spending several days in this. Um, is it like that for you when it comes to reading a book? Are you, are you sort of a, you know, same speed, every word, or do you have ways, you know, certain books you're reading more quickly, how you approach reading? No, absolutely. Um, yeah, there, there are books that I will, read and devour. And I, and I never read without a pen because I want to underline and then I always leaf over pages and I asterisk and all of those kinds of things. But yeah, you're right. There are books that, hey, there's not as much here as what I had hoped. And uh, it's going to be a quick read. But then other books that I really devour and leaf over a lot of pages. I, I will say two things um, just to kind of um, up the ante here a little bit. Uh, the average person spends 142 minutes on social media. That That's two hours and 22 minutes. Think about how much you could read if you converted that into books and then welcome to my world uh, about 20 years ago <laughs> because mm, yeah. we didn't have all of those distractions um, and things that kind of become time consumers. Um, and, and then I would also say, Put a book in the bathroom and you can read a book a month and some of you have more potential than that. So there you go. Yeah, it's really helpful. Well, I do want to ask too, you've got a, a new book coming up here in just a few months. Uh, I think it's called Win the Day if I've got it right. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that book. And I think writing is actually one of the topics that comes up in that book, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it is. It comes out December 29th and uh, it's seven daily habits to uh, stress less and accomplish more and uh, it's a, it was a fun book for me to write. It's kind of this idea of living in day-tight compartments. Uh, you know, yesterday's history, tomorrow's mystery. But you know what we can do? We can win the day. Um, and so I talk about uh, seven different habits from flip the script to kiss the wave to uh, cut the rope, fly the kite, wind the clock, seed the clouds. Um, and... Uh, about 80, I think 80% of people have a dream of writing a book. That's a staggering number. The reality is very few of them will do it. And the reason is because they're trying to find time, but you'll never find time. You have to make time. And so whenever someone wants to write a book uh, and they ask me the question, like, how do you do it? Well, one of the first things I always say, Chase, is, well, you're going to have to set your alarm clock a little bit earlier in the morning and you have to write it one day at a time. I mean, that's how you do anything. It's how you get out of debt. It's how you get into shape. Um, and so when the day, uh, one of the references that I cite, and I'm sure you've, you've heard this. I mean, this is almost, uh, uh, to the, uh, the point of being kind of, uh, uh, infamous, so to speak, that uh, Tim Ferriss uh, talks about writing two crappy pages a day. <laughs> mm, <laughs> I love yeah. that. Uh, I love that idea. It's about if you wait for inspiration, 
you know, you're going to be waiting until the Lord returns. Um, it's about really trying to win the day one day at a time. And if you write uh, a couple hundred words or a couple pages a day, guess what? There's there's no one who cannot write a book in a year's time. But it takes that daily discipline to really crank it out. And, and I think it probably starts with setting a self-imposed deadline, which I kind of talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah, I'm curious. You know, you mentioned setting that deadline at your 35th birthday, uh, but you also mentioned you had several incomplete manuscripts that you had sort of been working on. What was it that was keeping you or holding you back from finishing those manuscripts uh, before that that final one on the 35th birthday? Yeah, I, I think two things. I, I'm a perfectionist and a procrastinator, and I think those two things combined that I could never quite. Uh, tie off the umbilical cord. And um, so what I've done, one of the things I've done with with uh, uh, probably about seven, eight books ago, I started this thing where I just do a Jedi mind trick. When I feel like it hits 80%, I hand it off to my editor just to take a little bit of that pressure off of myself that it doesn't have to be perfect on the first draft. And of course, good writing is bad writing, well edited. So um, that that kind of helped. But I think the bigger issue, Chase, is I, I think the Lord called me at 22, but I don't think I was late to the game. I needed to acquire a little bit of life experience before my writing would take on the kind of depth that it would need to have to really have an impact. And so here's the fun backstory um, for In a Pit. I got the idea for that book when I was 19 years old listening to Sam Farina preach a sermon on a guy named Benaiah who chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed it. So I had the idea at 19. I remember thinking if I ever write a book, I want to write a book on that story. Here's the problem. I hadn't chased any lions yet at 19. Um, so I, I think I had to get a few scars, uh, get a few failures under my belt, and maybe even a few wins before that writing would pack a punch. And so if someone is maybe discouraged because they haven't written a book yet, listen, you're, you're accumulating stories and experiences and wisdom that's going to make the book better than it would have been a year or two or 10 ago. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I can only imagine. I know the number of questions I get about publishing. I'm sure uh, I'm guessing here you probably get a lot of questions about how do I publish a book? How do I get a book published? Uh, maybe you could reflect for a moment on on how that happened for you, but also the way you give advice to young writers who are really caught up maybe in trying to find an agent, trying to publish a book, knowing full well how hard that process is. Uh, maybe some of the advice you tend to offer. Yeah. And Chase, it's probably not getting easier, right? It's, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough market to get into. Um, and that, that sounds discouraging, but be encouraged because I don't think it's ever been easier or cheaper or had more potential than self-publishing because with Amazon, with Christian books, um, with every other kind of online retailer, you know, you can self-publish something and it can be available to the world. And I'm not, I, I think publishing still plays a critical role uh, in that process. But the good news is you can self-publish a book. You can write it and publish it much, much quicker 
And so I would probably say set your set your target on actually writing the book, not getting published. Don't worry about an agent. Don't worry about a publisher. Write the book. Prove to yourself that you can write it. And then maybe start with a self-published book. I mean, that's how I started. That's how most people start these days, unless they have a huge platform. Um, And so uh, I I actually hope that in some ways that's encouraging. I mean, I, I did. The Lord really orchestrated this deal where I met an agent and, uh, you know, that certainly has been a blessing and I'm grateful for the publishing partners I've had. But I would say, you know, self-publishing is a great place to start and probably the, the first place to start for most of us. Yeah, I think that's helpful. And I do think it's easy to, uh, um, as I think you're sort of saying as well, too, the writing has to really be the focus because, well, there's this famous saying, you know, writers love to have written. Like, we love the idea of being published, of having an agent. But if you're not in love with the process of actually sitting down and writing, I'm not sure... I'm not sure it pays off, right? Like you have to really love the work itself to be able to sustain whatever that path is going to look like if it is a traditional publishing or self-publishing. Yep, so true. Well, I want to talk a little bit about process for you too, because uh, as you alluded to, both of these these jobs are full-time jobs, writing and pastoring. Uh, but you've got to make that work. And I know you've done that uh, particularly through a kind of season of writing approach, which you get a lot of different advice in the writing online space. You know, you should write every single day, or uh, I kind of tend to be like you. I tend to write more in seasons. Uh, how? So two questions. How, are you, how, how do you approach the process of writing a book? But then also uh, maybe as a part of that, how did you figure that out? Because I think that's really maybe the most important question, how you figure out the right process for yourself as a writer. Yeah. And I'll, I'll try to answer that question to the best of my ability. It's almost like a jigsaw puzzle chase, but here, here's what happened. Um, when, when I wrote that first book, um, I didn't really have a rhyme or a reason or a, I was just trying to write that book, get a manuscript. Um, Once it got published, I realized pretty quickly it's going to be tough for me to preach 52 weekends and write books. And so I kind of built a a teaching team where uh, I went to, you know, 44 weeks and then 40 weeks and 36 and 30 and I'm about I I preach about half of our weekends now. And so I want to say that up front that. You know, over the years, um, I've transitioned our teaching team because, you know, I'll put 25, 30, 35 hours into a message. Well, that doesn't leave a whole lot of time to write as well as sermon prep, as well as lead and disciple and counsel and do everything else that that a pastor does. So um, I think it was probably um, maybe book four or five that I realized I like writing better in the winter than the summer because in the summer I want to be outside playing. Uh, In the the winter, honestly, I want to be inside writing. And so uh, I just decided because my birthday was my first deadline, that's when I initiate my writing season, uh, which is November 5th. Somewhere in those first week or two, Uh, I'll take all the books that I've read that are related to that subject matter and they'll get their own stack or their own shelf. Um, I'll kind of collect notes and thoughts from previous sermons, all the documents I have compiled on my computer. 
and I'll actually do a two or three day writing retreat. And you can do that wherever. I've done it lots of different places. And um, it allows me to get a little bit of momentum at the very beginning of the writing process. Sometimes I'll put together a table of contents, kind of start with the framing of the entire book. I will say this, for me, it's all about organizing metaphors. And so maybe, Chase, we can come back to that if I forget. Sure. Um, but then the weeks uh, during that writing season, I do less teaching. And our teaching team does a lot more teaching. And so I have weeks where most days I'm up and writing at 6 a.m. Uh, by 6 a.m. And uh, often we'll write for 12 hours. And uh, I'll, I'll shorten this a little bit. There's more I could share. But um, 90% of my creativity happens before noon. And so one little trick of the trade I've learned is that a nap a 20-minute nap gives me two writing days in one day. It gives me two windows of creativity because then I'm able to kind of reset my brain and jump back into kind of an afternoon writing session. So uh, the weeks I'm not teaching uh, or preaching, I, I do a lot of writing. And somehow, some way, uh, I end up with a draft by Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> a good time to celebrate. So, well, yes. I've, I, I'm always struck because everybody has such a different process. And I really think that's, that is the advice, right? It's pick, pick apart the little pieces of advice that might work, try them and try to reverse engineer and figure out how do you, how do you do it? How do you get yourself to do the work uh, in a meaningful way? Uh, for you, uh, you're writing at a pretty quick pace. Uh, do you, how do you recognize when you have a book idea, when something's uh, a tweet when something's an article, when something's a sermon series, or when you're saying, okay, there's something I'm willing to invest. Cause that's kind of a sacred time for you. That season of writing, you've got to feel pretty good about an idea to be able to, to invest that season into that idea. How do you recognize when you have one of those ideas? Yeah, that's such a good question, Chase. And it's evidence of how many of these interviews you've done. Um, you know, I, I think we have an unfair advantage. If you pastor and write, you have an unfair advantage in that you are creating content all the time. And so what I've learned is that there are some series that are more than a series. That's a book. Uh, there are some illustrations that are more than an illustration. They're organizing metaphors. So I'll, I'll kind of give you the classic example because Honestly, The Circle Maker is the book that sort of hit the fan. I mean, In a Pit did really, really well. It surprised me for a first published book. But, you know, The Circle Maker was the book that, for whatever reason, um, really uh, continues even, even now. Oh, yeah, it was a not? book that so many family members or people would say, hey, have you heard of this Mark Batterson guy? You know, that was the book that sort of brought <laughs> them to your work. So I would second that. Yeah. So um, I'll tell you I'll tell you the backstory on it. I have a uh, I have a, a book called The Book of Legends, and it's a compilation of the Talmud and the Mishnah, kind of this these Jewish commentaries on the Old Testament. Page 202. I read a story about Honey, the circle maker, and I, I use that as an illustration one Sunday. And Chase, literally, I'm driving home that day and I'm thinking, Wow, I think that was a book. Um, and uh, sure enough, it, it was. It ended up, uh, you know, it, it was an organizing metaphor that I think captured people's imagination. 
Oh, can I tell you one other fun, fun fact about that? Yeah. Um, in, in, um, well, um, Josephus and others who reference Honey, it, it can be translated the circle maker or the circle drawer, uh, drawer as in someone who drew a circle in the sand. And so the original title chase was the circle drawer. And I asked our digital pastor to see if he could get the domain name. And he came back to me and said, Pastor Mark, what's the circle drawer? Well, they're spelled the same way. And that, that's when I realized that's the wrong title. We're yeah. going to go with the circle maker. And, uh, but it was literally one story, uh, of course, not in scripture, but in, uh, in the Talmud that uh, became kind of the organizing metaphor for that book. So I think you've got to find a metaphor that's really strong that can kind of capture people. Yeah, so you've alluded to this a couple times, the importance of metaphor for you. And, and and I do want to hear how it plays a role in the process of writing. So it sounds like for you, you're kind of beginning with some form of an outline or a table of contents, particularly centered around maybe this metaphor. But then more broadly, why? Because uh, I think this comes through really clearly in so much of your work. Metaphor and story is really central. Why for you is metaphor such a powerful tool for for communicating and writing these truths that you want people to to understand more deeply? Well, I think my philosophy of communication is, uh, I think it's in John's gospel where Jesus says, the father told me what to say and how to say it. And what is content, but how is, there's a lot to that. It has to do with delivery. It has to do with framing. And the thing that I marvel about with Jesus is his ability to tell a parable, which is essentially an organizing metaphor. And, of course, most of them agrarian because of the culture he lived in. You know, he could tell a spiritual truth in a put it in parable form or in metaphor form. Most of them are 250 words or less, but you hear it once and you remember it forever. And so what I'm trying to do as a writer is almost construct a a category or give people a handle with which to hold on to the truth that I'm trying to convey. And and so really Jesus was the master of metaphor and you know now we have uh this search engine called Google and we have kind of all the the entire world at our fingertips. We have so much potential for um for metaphor as communicators that really there is no ceiling. So we kind of have no excuse when it comes to um, putting spiritual truth and, and framing it in a way that uh, people can see it in a new way. In fact, Chase, I would say as a writer and a preacher, my my goal is pretty simple. It's to say old things in a new way. And so to turn the kaleidoscope just enough where if I use a, a historical uh, story or even uh, something from the sciences and I juxtapose it, um, say I juxtapose neuroscience with John 9 with the man born blind. Well, now it gives this appreciation for that miracle that, that it's synaptogenesis. This is not an astigmatism. This is a Jesus installing a synaptic pathway between the optic nerve and visual cortex. And so um, and I will say on that note, man, I love Malcolm Gladwell because I think um, 
he he's one of my favorite writers. He does that kind of thing. He takes these uh, almost seemingly random studies and stories, but then creates these amazing ideas like Tipping Point or Outliers or all of those good things. So uh, that's uh, that was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but there you go. No, it connects, uh, I think, well, this idea of part of what you do as a pastor and a writer, I think all of us do to some degree, is you you try to particularly in a congregation where you have a lot of people who are believers there and you're preaching week after week. You know, some of these people have heard hundreds and hundreds of sermons over their lifetime, but you're trying to find ways to to bring to faith, to bring to life something that may be cognitively true for that person. They may have believed in a long time, but somehow you're right. That story, that illusion, that image brings life into it, right? The spirit into it animates it in some way that maybe it hadn't before. Do you, do you think that, uh, that emphasis on story, on narrative, do you think that's partly what has made your writing resonate so deeply with so many people? I, I think it's a factor. You know, the funny thing is, Chase, there's um, – well, another another great book is Originals by Adam Grant. Uh, and in that book, he talks about false negatives and false positives. I, I won't spell all of that out, but I don't think any preacher or any author really know – you, you can have a gut feeling about how effective a sermon or a book is going to be, but you never figure it out entirely. There's there's this element of anointing and almost this – it really takes the Spirit of God showing up and kind of showing off to really make something uh, resonate with people. I, I don't know how else to say it. Well, I guess – you know, between our lips and people's ears, the Holy Spirit does what, what the Holy Spirit does. Um, I, I want to say, Chase, that it's stories, it's metaphors, it's maybe saying old things in a new way. It's maybe a few books that have kind of hit on subject matters that, that you know, I struck when the iron was hot. Um, but I want to very humbly say with every book, you know, some of them I've had a really good feeling and they haven't done as well in terms of sales. And then other books that I was like, uh, I don't know if this is going to make much noise. And it really uh, had an impact. Like draw the circle. I mean, uh, I think well over a million people have have uh, taken that that prayer challenge at this point. And I would have never guessed it was just an ancillary product. You know, it was like, hey, the circle maker's doing great. Could we do a 40-day prayer challenge? I had no idea that that would resonate so strongly. And uh, there there are quarters where that book sells more than the circle maker does at this point. Well, I think uh, there's a quote I love from E.B. White that says, uh, writing is a, an act of faith, not a trick of grammar. Uh, but for writers, I think we all know that there's a there's a little bit of both, right? Like you you are really yep. intentional about learning the craft. Like you're really intentional about working backwards and figure out what makes books successful. But then there's got to be a part of you that <laughs> could drive you a little nutty, right? Like sometimes the things I learn and work on, I can't directly correlate to success. Um, for you, how do you walk that line? How do you put the most into something, work hard on something, and then learn to really just trust those results to God? That can be that can be a challenge. Yeah, Chase, I think th this might be the most significant question that we've talked about so far. And uh, I hope people hear my heart on this. You know, I felt called to 
to write at 22, to me, it's not a it's not a natural gifting. It's a divine calling. And so when I sit down to write, one of my writing habits is I take off my shoes because I feel like I'm on holy ground. And, and then I'm not typing with the keyboard. I'm worshiping God with the 26 letters of the English alphabet. That really is my mindset when I go into it. And, and when a book is done, then I've had a prayer team that has interceded for my book since since that first book, just saying, Lord, would you put the right book in the right hands at the right time? And so I've always viewed it as this is a sacred trust and um, and prayer is a huge piece of that puzzle. And so sometimes people will apologize to me that there are certain books that I've written that they haven't read. Well, first of all, you don't have to apologize for that. I've probably written too many books, you know. Um, but secondly, if you haven't read it yet, to me, that means that it hasn't been the right time. Because if you read the right book at the wrong time, it's not going to impact you. It's not going to be a game changer. So I've always trusted the Holy Spirit to make sure that that, that right book gets into the right hands at the right time. And and I would encourage any author to approach writing that way. You know, if you want to, take off your shoes. Um, it, it is a sacred desk, uh, so to speak. And uh, and then I would say make sure you have a prayer team that's praying for those books that they'll really have the kind of impact that God wants them to have. On that uh, comment about the sacredness of writing, in your view, as you look you know, broadly now, we've talked quite a bit about your writing, but more broadly to uh, the role of writing and publishing within the church, what, in your opinion, is the, the thing that writers do or contribute to the church that's important and meaningful and, and so worthy of the time you're investing in it? Well, my philosophy of ministry is shaped a lot by Acts 17. Paul is in Athens. And you know, sometimes Christians are guilty of criticizing culture or copying culture. You know, Michelangelo said, criticize by creating. I love what Paul does there. He goes into the Areopagus and he competes for the truth. And so I just feel, Chase, with the Holy Spirit's help, we're called to write better books, uh, produce better films, start better businesses, draft better legislation. Let's not take pot shots at culture. Let's write such amazing books and produce such amazing films that that the world is attracted to it. You know, C.S. Lewis said that if if we fail uh, to reach the next generation, it's going to be because of a failure of imagination. And so, you know, my prayer is that the Lord would raise up a generation that feels called to all of these culture shaping endeavors and uh, if someone who is an atheist, per se, writes a better book than I do, I take that personally. One, I, I think I'm speaking truth. And two, I have the Holy Spirit's help. And so I want to make sure that I can write the best book possible. And so hopefully hopefully someone takes that personally because that's kind of a a little bit of the the throwing down of the gauntlet, and uh, that's kind of how I approach it. 
Well, your writing, I think, represents this imagination and interest uh, in that it's it, there is so much width to it too. I know you've been doing some fiction work. You've also, I know, you've got a kids book with your daughter, and and uh, I love to see the sort of like I, I know it within myself. You just can't help yourself, right? You're sort of dabbling in all these other areas and wanting to create. But uh, maybe one last question before we uh, may ask you if you don't mind to lead us in prayer here as a way of closing. But when you think about your works, do you tend to think? individually about these books or is there a, a sort of culmination of them together a kind of through line i mean have, do you think about the legacy of what all of these books will be in the future collectively mm, yeah you know it's funny chase i haven't given that a ton of thought um but i will share just a couple of key pieces to my puzzle in case it helps some people who are listening you know c.s lewis said that uh, every life is comprised of a few themes and so whenever someone asks me about what they should write about, I always want to know what's the theme of your life. And for me, you know, Chase the Line comes really close. Um, and uh, by, by the way, I, I sure hope that's a book that you've taken personally, given your, given your <laughs> name. <laughs> I've got um, Samuel is my first name. I don't know how many people know that. Chase is my middle. So I've got good biblical allusions there on both. It. So I love it. So you know, for me, that's one of the themes of my life that I, I, I want to run to the roar. I want to chase those 500 pound lines. So I think part of it starts there. You identify the themes that God is writing through your life. I, I allow myself about 10 to 15 percent overlap between books. In other words, there are some things that are important enough that it's okay to say it more than once. We know that in our preaching, you have to say it seven times for people to get it. So uh, there are some themes that kind of run through much of my writing. You know, pr prayer is going to be one of them, for example. It doesn't just have to be a, a book on prayer. Um, I, I think that, you know, I set a life goal of writing 25 books, and when the day will actually be uh, book 20, I believe, um, not, not counting a few of those ancillary books. And of course, um, you know, I've now written a few picture books, including this one you just referenced with my daughter, Summer, uh, God Speaks and Whispers, which is a, a picture book. It's kind of a bedtime storybook. I, I think I've always felt like I'm just going to try to discern what the Lord wants me to write next and do that. And, uh, but I will share one last thing that's kind of fun. Uh, I know next to nothing about my great grandparents. I bet I bet everybody listening to this, I bet you know very little about your great grandparents. Maybe their names, maybe their occupation, but you don't know a whole lot unless you're a rare exception to the rule. Chase, that's why I write, because I want my great grandchildren, I want the third and fourth generation to know what I believed, what I lived for, what I was willing to die for. And so I really view every book as a time capsule to the third and fourth generation. Now, hopefully uh, some people read it right when the book comes out, but I really view it, should the Lord tarry, as something, part of the legacy that I'm leaving for that third and fourth generation that uh, to me every book is a, is a time capsule to a future generation.
Yeah, really helpful and encouraging. I think this idea of the themes that sort of define our life is not something that gets talked about enough uh, when we talk about writing. But so much, I think, it, even my own writing, that's what it's been doing is sort of clarifying and articulating some of these things that are most important to me. And what a gift, you know, to be able not just to share those with future generations, but to know those of yourself. There's such a, a faith building experience and recognizing those things God is doing thematically through you that as a writer, I think it's just one of the great byproducts, maybe the product of the work itself. Mm, so good. Well, maybe we could close in prayer, and uh, I'd be honored if you'd be willing to lead us in prayer. And I think about listeners who are, uh, you know, you know the grind of writing. You know how challenging the issues yep. of platform and publishing and how distracted you can get from that, the work itself. That, uh, man, my heart right now as we talk is that people would just find joy in that calling and that work that's before them, and that they would do it with a kind of courage and a kind of imagination, as you mentioned, a boldness that uh, wants to be faithful to God first and foremost and trusts Him with uh, the results. Uh, maybe that's something you could pray for listeners who are in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely does need to be intrinsic motive. That's the thing that's going to get you up early and keep you going until you uh, you write that book. Well, I'm going to pray for two things. Um, one is just a writing anointing. But the second one, I'm, I'm going to pray for it, but I feel like I need to share the the backstory real quick. Do we have a moment for sure. me to do that? Absolutely. As much time as you need. So. Okay. So Chase, this takes me back to, um, all the way back to 2006. Um, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day is about to be released. And I'm speaking at a conference and one of the other speakers is Tommy Barnett. And uh, of course, Tommy is longtime pastor in Phoenix, as well as co-founder of the, the Dream Center in LA. And he had an altar call for a multiplication anointing. And I knew that, you know, I think it's only uh, 3% of books sell more than 5,000 copies. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, I sure wouldn't mind if it sold 10,000 or 20,000. And uh, I responded to that altar call. And I really believe, Chase, that the Lord uh, – put a multiplication anointing on some of the books that I've written. I don't know how else to say it. I don't take any credit for it. I just think there's some kind of anointing there. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to pray those two anointings. So if you're listening right now, would you do this? Would you just put your uh, your right hand kind of um, uh, on your right brain, if you will, just kind of almost lay hands on yourselves, which we're having to do a lot more during this COVID season because <laughs> we can't true. lay hands on each other. But uh, Lord, right now, I, I pray for that right-brained imagination. And I also pray for that left-brain logic. But Lord, there, there's something that is so unique about writing. And God, I, I pray that those who have a calling to write and a dream to write Lord, I pray for that special writing anointing on their lives. I pray for an anointed right brain to uh, come up with those creative ideas, those organizing metaphors, uh, all the way down to the title uh, of those books. Lord, we trust you that, uh, that your Holy Spirit is going to help us as writers to write what is going to be most glorifying to you. And so, God, I pray a writing anointing that would be strong enough to get us up very early in the morning, that would be strong enough to get us through the writer's block, that would be strong enough to help us prioritize a writing season, 
that would be strong enough to get us all the way to a deadline with a manuscript. And now, Lord, I pray for those who have written a book (coughs) that, God, you would give it a multiplication anointing that 10, 30, 100 fold, that, Lord, those books that we've poured our hearts and souls into, God, would you put them in the right hands at the right time? Would you use them to impact hundreds and thousands, Lord, even millions of lives? God, would you create a ripple effect from these books that we've written to the third and fourth generation? And so, Lord, I ask that multiplication anointing and We receive it as a gift from you, as something that you can do for us that we can't do for ourselves. We receive it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Mark, it's a man, I really mean it, a privilege and honor. I've been looking forward to this conversation and uh, so much that's helpful to me personally, I know for listeners. And uh, uh, if I've got my timeline right, you're coming up on another writing season. So I'm looking forward to uh, win the day that's coming out. But I'm sure you've got work that's on your heart right now. So we'll be praying that that goes well for you and that uh, here in the years to come, we'll keep seeing more books. Hey, sounds good, Chase. Thanks so much. And, uh, you know, someone who spent my college days uh, in Springfield uh, do me a favor, go and get a, a Mexican villa and then some <laughs> Andy, Andy's custard afterwards. I know uh, right where they all are. So <laughs> I know you do. So, uh, hey, blessings uh, on you. As always, you can find show notes for today's episode by going to pastorwriter.com slash 126. There you'll find information about Mark's books as well as his upcoming book, Win the Day, that we discussed. Uh, You might also consider taking time to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that wherever you listen to podcasts and maybe consider leaving a review. I'm closing in on 100 reviews and it'd mean a lot to me if you'd take the time to either leave a rating by clicking one of the stars or typing out a brief message. Give me some feedback, what you've been enjoying about the show, what you'd like to see more of, even what you might like to see different. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.